Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're going to continue on in our series. It was a little bit challenging in the the first service to a certain degree. But, uh, you know, all the things that we've got used to, the technology and things that we tend to lean upon a lot in in worship anymore, um, that's something that the church did not have access to for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Amen? So uh, that means we can still do without it, you know? I was tempted to almost tell them just to leave it turned off just to give you that experience this morning. Remind me a little bit of a situation um, early on in my ministry because I was thinking about going to my first full-time church, or was going to it, uh, but Kelly, when I preached the trial message there, I asked for a copy of the sermon, and uh, they gave me a copy of it. I wanted to go home and kind of evaluate how I thought the service had gone. And the guy, honestly, without realizing he had done this, he didn't check the other side of the tape. And I got a business meeting in that church from about two years earlier that they had never erased. (laughs) And it was not one of those good Baptist business meetings at all. And it was in the county that I grew up in, so I can make out some of the voices and everything. And I'm thinking, you know, Laura, I don't know why you're letting me hear this now. But one thing that a guy stood up and said, because they were having a debate kind of about a building project and uh, that really went south in the debate. But one thing that a fellow stood up and said, uh, he said, you know what? I don't care if we go out in the woods and worship at a stump. He said, we don't need to let this bother our fellowship in the church. You know, I thought about several times how that's true. We, we get used to our petty seats, our air conditioning, everything like that, but we can worship God anywhere. Amen? Amen. And uh, uh, let me try and collect my thoughts. My mind's been blown all morning because of everything uh, going wrong that, that could go wrong this morning. But we're in this series entitled Fearful About Tomorrow. A reason for the series, a pretense of it, was going into a new year. You might be happy about leaving some things behind last year, but you don't know what might be up around the bend uh, in the coming year. I mean, it's like driving down the road. You can't see around the curve sometimes around the bend. I, I was lucky this morning. I was on the way to church about 7 o'clock this morning, and uh, I come around the bend, and there's a highway patrolman off the side of the road. It's 7 a.m. Uh, luckily, I was only going 40 and a 35, okay? <laughs> but my point is I could not see around the bend. And, and there are things that we will face in this year that we can't see around the bend. And we ourselves don't know they're on the way. But for us as Christians, that's okay because here's the neat thing about that. God already knows. Amen? God never ever gets surprised by anything. He knows exactly what we'll be facing in our lives. A lot of reasons we may have for being fearful when we think about our our culture today, when we look at the bad news we can see on television, uh, and a lot of reasons we can be afraid. Today we're going to look at a story about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And the title of the message is this, Have No Fear, See Jesus. And it's going to be based, I'm drawing that out of verse 7 and 8. We're going to look at the other verses surrounding uh, these two verses. We're going to kind of look at the whole story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. But verse 7 and 8 is going to be our, our focal passage of, of Scripture. And, and here's what the Bible says there in those verses. But Jesus came and touched them, talking about three of the disciples. He, he took up on the mountain with him, Peter, James, and John. They've heard God the Father speak out of a glory cloud. They fell on their faces in fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, I'm going to talk about the whole story of the transfiguration, but the main point I want you to get today is this. We need to allow Jesus to speak to our fears when we find ourselves in fearful situations. We need to allow Jesus to tell us to have no fear. We need to listen to Jesus, but we also need to see Jesus. And when Jesus touched them and he told them to have no fear, they looked up. They only saw Jesus standing there. Moses and Elijah had been there. The presence of God had been there, as we'll see when we go through the passage of Scripture. And and they were terrified by hearing God speak out of the cloud. But, But when they look up, they see Jesus only. And guys, my, my argument this morning is this. We will face fearful circumstances in our lives. We, we can't help it. We're human. We'll go through things that are, are difficulties we didn't see coming. We'll face fearful circumstances. But in the midst of that, if, if we'll learn to focus on Jesus, if we'll learn to see Jesus only, it will help us make it through those fearful circumstances a lot better than if we're sidetracked and focused in other areas. So as we look at this story, we're going to try and see if we can find some helpful truths that we can draw from the transfiguration of Christ that can help us, potentially help us when we're going through fears ourselves. First one is simply this. Don't be afraid to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Don't be afraid to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Back up in verse 1, I read verse 7 and 8, but in verse 1, The Bible said, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. Now, in in the interest of maybe helping you as you read through the New Testament, uh, Matthew and Mark says after six days. Luke says after eight days. And some people look at that and think there's some type of contradiction. But when you look at what Luke says... Luke uses a word in the Greek, a phrase in the Greek, that's more or less like saying about a week. It's not like he was saying technically eight days, so there's not a contradiction there. We do that all the time, don't we, in, in our own lingo. We'll say, well, you know, I'll, I'll do that in a, in a couple of days, and we're really talking about a week. Or a couple of minutes, and, and we're talking about an hour, uh, really, in, in our mind. But we use that terminology, so there's not any kind of contradiction there. But what I want us to do is is try and glean from them just following Jesus up the mountain uh, some some helpful things, uh, some needful perspectives maybe that can can help us when we think about following Jesus. Sometimes it can be a scary thing following Jesus. Amen? Because sometimes you don't know exactly where that's going to take you. 
So I want to give you three quick perspectives. This isn't the main part of the message, but it's stuff I thought was really, was really helpful maybe to us. Here, here's the first perspective. We shouldn't be fearful of following Jesus, of where following Jesus may take us. We should not be fearful of where following Jesus may take us. Now, I can say a lot more about that, but here's the deal. You're following Jesus. Amen? So if you're following Jesus, it's going to be okay. Right? You may not enjoy the journey. There may be some difficulties along the way, but, but you're following Jesus. So don't be afraid where that might take you. It may take you on a fearful path. It may take you in some areas that you get a little bit concerned and discouraged, but don't allow that to keep you from following him. Second application or perspective I want to take from them just following him up the mountain is this. We shouldn't allow difficult obstacles to keep us from following Jesus. We should not allow difficult obstacles to keep us from following Jesus. The Bible said they were going up into a high mountain. Now, evidently, the three disciples following him, maybe they're not got in church member or a Baptist mode or something like that, because they might have started complaining and saying, why in the world are we having to go up a high mountain? Jesus, can't you transfigure yourself here in the valley? Yeah, Jesus, I'm tired. We're halfway up the mountain. Can't you transfigure yourself here? Why do we have to go up a, a high mountain? Well, sometimes we have difficult obstacles before us. And I'm not talking about climbing a mountain, but it can seem like a high mountain. But you and I still need to follow Jesus. We should not allow the things that cause us to be fearful in our lives to paralyze us and keep us from following Jesus. Well, we ought to follow him no matter where it, it seems to be leading us. Third perspective I want you to get is this. Accepting the invitation of Jesus to follow him closely affords you with wonderful experiences that other people may miss. Jesus takes... Peter, James, and John up in the mountain with him, three of the disciples. The, left, the rest of the disciples are left down at the base of the mountain. Now, I'm not saying that's their fault. I'm not saying that's a negative thing because they're left down there. That's not what I'm trying to imply, but I'm trying to apply this. Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, I want you to come with me. It may not have anything to do with a deficit in the other disciples, but he has called these three disciples to go with him up to the mountain. And when Jesus extends calls for us to follow him, we need to stay as close to Jesus as we can stay to him. Because if we fail to do that, you might just miss something amazing. You, you might miss something that, that, that you could have used in your life in that moment and for the rest of your years. Had these three not listened and not gone on with Jesus to the top of the mountain, think what they would have missed. They would have missed seeing Jesus transformed in all of his glory. I mean, they had seen Jesus do some amazing things, some glorious things, but they had never inherently just seen the glory of God to where Jesus kind of pulled back the veil and let them see who he's always been and who he'll always be. And that's why you and I need to decide we're going to stay as close to Jesus as we can to avoid missing some things. You know, when, when these three disciples came back down the mountain, they might have tried their best to describe to the disciples that were left at the foot of the mountain what they had experienced up there. But it's not the same as being there yourself. I've tried that before. Man, I've had some things that, 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 that God felt like I had done, he had done in my life. And, and sometimes I'm almost skeptical to tell people because they're going to think he's gone off the deep end or, or whatever. But I'm telling you some things that God did when he was calling me to ministry to start with. And sometimes I don't just invite everybody into that. But, uh, 
I've tried to tell people before, and sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll look and they'll smile and kind of shake their head. And I'm thinking, you're not getting it, you know? And the point is this, they can't really get it because they didn't experience it. And that's why you and I need to make the best of every opportunity we can to stay close to Jesus. So we will experience th- those things that maybe some others don't get to experience because that experience itself will help you in some of your fears in your life. And I think it did for the disciples here. There are three occasions that the Bible talks about Peter, James, and John being invited in a closer context than the other disciples. One is on the Mount of Transfiguration. One we'll talk about next week when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. They're the ones that are allowed to be there and everyone else is put outside the house. And the other one's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they have the opportunity from being in his inner circle to experience some things that other people missed. Second main thing this morning is this. Hopefully a helpful truth that we can draw out of this story of the transfiguration of Christ that can help us when we're going through fears ourselves is that seeing Jesus as he is confirms your faith in him and, and thus helps your fears. Getting a really clear picture of Jesus, knowing who Jesus is. So verse 2 said this, and he, talking about Jesus, was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. That's the only time recorded in Scripture when Jesus was here on his earthly ministry that he kind of pulls the veil back, and, and he allows someone to see him as he truly is. Jesus had told the disciples in the previous chapter, in in chapter 16, in verse 28, he said, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So what Jesus said to them is now partially being fulfilled because three of these disciples, they were standing there when Jesus told them that. Now they're getting to see a picture of Jesus in his kingdom. They're getting to see a picture of Jesus in all of his glory. The word transfigured in the Greek is the same word we get our English word metamorphosis from. And that kind of gives you a, a picture of what's taking place with Jesus here on the Mount of Transfiguration. Most of you have read about metamorphosis before. A you know, caterpillar will build a cocoon, go in, come out a butterfly, or come out a moth on the other side. It is more than just an external change. There's, there's an inherent change that's taking place. It, it, it's a transformation that happens from the inside out. It wasn't like Jesus was up on the mountain of transfiguration and God allowed his glory to shine on the outside of Jesus. No, what happens is this. Jesus allows these three disciples to see all the glory of God that is in him because he's God in the flesh exude from the inside to the outside. It's a, it's a major transformation that takes place. They see Jesus as he is. The Bible called it like this. It said that that his face shone like the sun. So let me illustrate that just for a minute for you. Some people will talk about the moon shining. I've got news for you. I hope I'm not giving, I hope I'm not blowing away your your, your science in your own mind. But I've got news for you. The, The moon does not shine of its own. You understand that? Am I blowing away your, your, your self-made science or something? The moon only reflects the light of the sun. 
So the Bible said Jesus' face shone like the sun. The sun does create its own light. The sun does have its own energy. That light comes from everything that's taking place in the nucleus of the, of the sun. It's inherently what the sun is. It gives forth that light. And that gives us an image of who Jesus is. Jesus, that day on the Mount of Transfiguration, from within side, allowed them to see inherently the glory of God. He, he allowed them to clearly see who he was as his essential glory shined forth there in, in their presence. Now, let me give you a little bit of background to help you understand why this is important. During that week, the week before this took place, Jesus had started talking to his disciples about his death. And you see, that totally blew them away because the disciples had the Jewish mindset of the Messiah. The disciples were thinking, we're following you. You're going to go ahead and take the throne. You're the Messiah. You're going to chase the Roman Empire off, and you're going to set up your kingdom now. And now Jesus talks about that he's going to die. And that doesn't fit in their theology. They're not looking for a Messiah to die. They're looking for a Messiah to take over. So Jesus, having talked the previous week about dying, might would have had them a little bit confused about him being the Messiah, and it might have them a little bit confused and disheartened about the kingdom of God because they thought the kingdom of God was going to happen then. So Peter, James, and John getting to see Jesus transfigured helps confirm their faith. They might have started to wonder, well, we thought that you were going to take over. We thought you're setting your kingdom up. Now you're talking about dying. But you see, when Jesus allows them to see him in all of his glory there upon the Mount of Transfiguration, that confirms the faith that they needed. The week before that, Peter had also answered the question of Jesus when he said, who do you say that I am? And Jesus said, well, well you're the Messiah, you're the Christos, you're, you're, you're the Son of God, you're the one we've been waiting upon. Now that's confirmed for Peter as he sees Jesus in all of his glory. They might have been worrying about the kingdom. What are you talking about dying, Jesus? We thought you were going to set the kingdom up. But now they see Jesus, and they also see Moses, who, by the way, had died and was buried and did not get to the end of the promised land because he hit the rock twice, and God didn't tell him to do that. And they see Elijah, who did not die. He was translated to heaven in that fiery chariot. So they see Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And I think that image, especially with Jesus glorified, kindly would give these three disciples the sense, all right, he's talking about dying, but I think it's going to be okay. <laughs> I think the kingdom of God is going to be okay. Moses is dead. We, we see him here. Uh, Elijah ascended to, to heaven, but we see him here. And, and seeing Jesus display all this glory would, would have confirmed their faith. Now you might be wondering or thinking to yourself, well, that's good for Peter. That's good for James. That's good for John. How does that apply to us? Here's how. If we will see Jesus as he is, if we'll see the real Jesus, if we'll see the Jesus of the scriptures, that will help confirm our faith and give us greater faith. And we need that when we go through fearful circumstances. We, we need to see Jesus who he is. We need to understand clearly who Jesus is. There, there's a lot of people that believe there was a Jesus. They, they see Jesus as just being a, a good man that taught good things. They see Jesus as, as just being a prophet. They, they see Jesus as being a, 
a, a good teacher. And you've heard me say this before. It's hard to say Jesus is a good teacher when he's walking around claiming to be God. Amen? He's either who he says he is or he's not. In other words, if I ever show up on this place and I start telling you I'm God, it's time for you to have a business meeting. Matter of fact, don't even wait to have the business meeting. Just go ahead and remove me from the stage right then. So you can't have it two ways. You go, oh, Jesus is a good teacher, but Jesus claimed to be God. He's either telling you the truth or not. So a lot of people want to minimize Jesus and say, well, he was just a man. He was someone that taught uh, good, good things. He was a prophet or whatever. But you see, that's not clearly who Jesus is. We see a picture of who Jesus is in the transfiguration on the mountain when Jesus just displays the inherent glory of God. That is who Jesus is. And, and when we see that, that, that confirms our faith for us. Here's what the writer of Hebrews said about Jesus. He, talking about Jesus, is a radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's who Jesus is. He's the exact image, the exact imprint of God himself. He is God in the flesh. He holds everything together by the word of his power. That's who the Bible tells us Jesus is. And if we'll have a full picture of who Jesus is, that will help us all the time, but especially when we're going through fearful circumstances in our lives. If we'll have the picture of the fact that Jesus is the express image of the glory of God, Jesus is the exact image of God's nature. The glory of God radiates from within Jesus, not simply an external reflection of God's glory. In fact, you can look at the scriptures and say this, Jesus Christ is the glory of God. There are a lot of the verses we can read that communicate that. John chapter 1 verse 14 and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, in His high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, prayed this, And now, Father, glorify me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. See, that's what these three disciples get to see on the Mount of Transfiguration. They, they get to see Jesus as He had always been. Peter remembered it because the Holy Spirit brought it to mind as he's writing the scriptures in Second Peter. Peter never got over this experience on a man transfiguration because he writes these words. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter said, I saw it up there on the mountain. He, he goes on and he says, for when he received honor and glory from the God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory talking about God, here's what God the Father said about him, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He said, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and, and we have something more sure the prophetic word. Now, now, I'll keep reading in a minute, but I want, to stop, I want to stop right there for a minute. Peter has just said, we were eyewitnesses of the glory of God. We saw Jesus transformed on the mountain. We heard what God the Father said. 
Now, the reason I'm stopping here for a minute, some of us might be thinking in our minds, well, man, if I could have been up on the mountain and seen him transform like that, sure, I'd have big faith too. Look what Peter says. Back up one second to the previous. Let me read that again. One slide, please. We have something more sure. The prophetic word. Wow. Peter said, hey, I saw him in all his glory. I was there. I experienced it. But Peter said, we've got something even more sure than that. We've got the Bible. We've got the prophetic word of God. We've got what had been written about him, and we've seen it fulfilled. Next slide, please. Now, And he didn't go to sleep. You know, I messed with him. <laughs> to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been been thinking about walking in a dark place, a dark alley maybe, or somewhere in the woods, and there looks like there's something there, maybe? And you're a little bit shook up by the, the fact that it looks like maybe there's something there? But if you've got a light and you can shine a light down that alley or in that dark place, wherever it might be, it gives you confidence to step forward, doesn't it? We've got a light. And when we go through dark, fearful circumstances in our lives, where maybe something looks a little bit scary and we don't know whether to proceed or not, we've got a light (laughs) that can light our way where we can step forward with confidence. The the disciples were given that light by seeing Jesus transform. But Peter also writes, hey, we've got something more sure. We have the prophetic word so you and I can step forward, even when we're facing fearful circumstances, because we know who Jesus is. We clearly know who he is. John wrote about in Revelation. He said, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And On turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. I'm not going to keep reading the rest of that, but you get the image. John said, I I saw him on the other side of the cross. I saw the resurrected Lord. I saw him glorified in heaven. But he had also been allowed to see this on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John had been there, and they saw Jesus in all of his glory. And the fact of who Jesus is seems to me help them a lot in their future as they continue to follow Jesus and serve him. And my suggestion to you is simply this. If we'll see Jesus as he truly is, that will help us overcome our fears. Third thing this morning is is this. Seeing Jesus only. Seeing Jesus only. It's one thing to see him. It's one thing to glance at him every now and then when you're afraid or when you're having difficulties in your life. But seeing Jesus only will help you overcome your fears. If you'll see Jesus 
only. We're going to read verse 3 through 8 while I walk through it. Jesus, first of all, is the focus of the law and the prophets. The Bible tells us in verse 3, Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Moses represents the law that God had given. Uh, Elijah represents the prophets. And as we look at the full picture of Scripture, we discover this. The law is really about Jesus, and it points us to our need of Jesus. The law was never given for you to think you can save yourself by obeying the law. The law is not like, if I obey this commandment, that's one more rung up the ladder for me to make my way to heaven. If I obey that commandment, I can climb a little bit further toward making my way to heaven. That's not why the law was given. Paul tells us clearly that the law was given to show us how sinful we are. The prophets had much to say about Jesus, and that's who Elijah represents. You see, on the other side of the crucifixion, Jesus appeared to some other followers of his on the road to Emmaus. And here's what the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 30 through 31. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Jesus, I, I read ahead of myself, I'm sorry, I should have read Luke 24, 27. I told you my mind's blowed this morning. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus met those two disciples and he took the law that Moses represents and he took the prophets that Elijah represents and he, and he taught them about himself. Our focus needs to be upon Jesus. That, that's what all of this Bible is about. Our, our focus needs to be upon him. We need to hone our focus in upon him, especially when we're facing difficult times. What they were talking about, I've already read to you just a moment ago. They were talking about his departure that was going to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Some translations say they were talking about his exodus. The one I'm reading this morning says talking about his departure. That was going to be accomplished soon in Jerusalem. I want you to think about this for a minute. Moses and Elijah both had looked forward with faith to what they're talking about. They had looked forward to the coming of Messiah. They had looked forward by faith to his coming. Now, they're on a mountain talking with Jesus about what he is about to accomplish. The very thing that ultimately secured their salvation, they're talking to Jesus about. And I want you to notice something else. It said that it was to be accomplished in Jerusalem. Jesus being crucified in Jerusalem was not an accident. It was an accomplishment. It was something that God had pre-planned that he was to do, that God would send his son into the world and he would shed his blood on the cross for our sins. They're talking about his sacrificial death. They're talking about his resurrection. They're talking about the fact that he's going to ascend and he'll be back in heaven seated there by God the Father. That's what they're discussing on the top of this mountain. 
And you see, the way that ought to encourage you and I is this. If you and I will focus upon the sacrificial death of Jesus, if we'll focus upon the fact that he took his life back up, if we'll focus upon the fact that he has departed, he's ascended, and he's sat down at the right hand of God the Father, no matter how fearful our circumstances might be, we ought to have faith and trust in him because of what he's done for us and what he's accomplished to make it through whatever it is that you're facing. Hey, even the fear of death. Why the fear of death? Jesus defeated death for you. Amen? Amen. Even if you're afraid of dying, you can overcome that fear by faith in Jesus because he's the one that won the, the victory over that for us. Jesus is the focus of the law and, and the prophets. That being said, we don't need to allow anything or anyone to distract us, to distract you from your focus on Jesus. Don't allow anything, don't allow the thing you're afraid of or anything else to distract you from your focus on Jesus. Verse 4 tells us this. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter's known for being pretty impetuous sometimes. A lot of times Peter would stick his own foot in his mouth. You know, Lord, if all these others desert you, I never will. I'll never deny you. But but he did. Here, Peter says something that God the Father is not going to allow stand. More or less in that statement, you have Peter almost like he's given equal foot into Jesus and to Moses and to Elijah. Lord, it's great we're up here. It is great we've seen you up here, but let's just stay up here. And and, and let's build a tabernacle for you and a tabernacle for Moses and, and a tabernacle for Elijah. Before I finish developing that, I want to run a rabbit about relationships just for a second. Relationships are great. They should be. They're needed. You need relationships with people. In this passage of Scripture, we we see eternal relationships hinted at. God the Son, Moses, and Elijah. Moses had already died. The Bible tells us that. Elijah was translated to heaven. The Bible tells us clearly that, that he was translated into heaven. It's always been an interesting thing to me that Peter knew who they were. The Bible doesn't tell us Jesus came over and made introductions. Well, Peter, James, and John, let me introduce you to Moses. Let me introduce you to Elijah. He knew who they were. I I think one day when I see Moses, I'll know him without anyone telling me. I think there's coming a time that I'll know Elijah without anyone telling me. I think I'll know who the Apostle Paul is without anybody saying, hey, this is Paul, let me introduce you to him. Because there's going to be some eternal, grand relationships. Amen? I know I won't have to have anybody tell me, hey, that's Jesus. (laughs) 
Relationships are important. And we will even have eternal relationships. So Jesus said it's not the same as here, not given in marriage and things like that, but we'll have eternal relationships. We'll know each other over there. We'll know people we've never met over there. So relationships are very, very important. One reason why you came in this morning, you found uh, these in seats around you. Because that gives you a description of our small groups, what each small group topic is. There's a table outside. You can go and sign up for a small group. And I want to encourage you to do that because relationships are important. You need to have relationships with other people. They're very, very important. So please read this at the end of the service. There's going to be someone from the small group that I lead, the Billy Compton Juniors, is going to come up and talk to you a little bit. Over the next few weeks, there's going to be some people from other small groups that will come up and talk to you a little bit. But it's very important for you to be in, in relationship with people, people to help you, people to encourage you. You might be thinking, man, I'm too busy for that. No, you, I, I promise you, you're not too busy for that. You think you are, but you'll find out you're not. And by the way, one of the things we have thrown up here on our wall as being high values to us is that we're going to build believers and we're going to connect with others in the way that happens is in a small group. I can shake your hand here. I can greet you here on Sunday morning. I try and do that and walk around. I don't put a lot of thought into that, to be honest with you. And then I was talking to someone online the other day. They said that's one of the reasons why they're sold out on coming here because I come around, I'm friendly, I shake hands with people. And they don't see that other places. I don't, I don't try and do that. It bothers me sometimes. I'm afraid I look like a politician going from person to person shaking hands. But, but you see, I, I can't have that level of relationship with you here on Sunday morning that you need with other people. So relationships are great. You have a picture of an eternal relationship here on top of Mount of Transfiguration. But the most important relationship that any of us has is with Jesus Christ. That's the most important relationship we can have. And, and that's why something happens as soon as Peter starts talking about building those three tabernacles, putting those three tents up, whatever you want to call them. When he starts elevating Moses and Elijah kind of the level with Jesus up there on that Mount Transfiguration, God the Father shows up and more or less tells us this, that we need to see and hear Jesus above all others. We need to see and hear Jesus above all others. The main topic in this series is fears. And you might have some good friends or some other church members that might help you through fears. But I tell you where your main focus better be. Your main focus better be Jesus. Because human beings will let you down. You know, and, and because we are that, we're human. Jesus will never, ever, ever let you down. And that's why we need to see and hear Him above all things. Verse 5 says this. He, talking about Peter, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and the voice of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Paul writes this. 
in Colossians chapter 1 about Jesus. He's telling us that Jesus needs to come first, that Jesus is to have the preeminence. Verse 15, it says, He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. I don't know if you realize this or not, but Jesus Christ, God the Son, is God's agent of creation. Jesus is the one that God the Father used to speak creation into existence. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is to be our central focus. It is great to think about Moses and Elijah and other characters of the Bible, but God cut Peter off in mid-sentence. Peter wasn't through talking yet. He still has some other things to blab out of his mouth. He's probably going to get in deeper trouble. Jesus, it's great to be up here. Let's build a tabernacle for you. Build one for Moses. Build one for Elijah. And he's on a roll. He's going to keep going. And God stops him in mid-sentence. And God tells him, no, you need to see my son. This is my beloved son. You don't need to focus on Moses. You don't need to focus on Elijah. You need to see my son, and you need to listen to him. The word for listen means to listen and obey what you hear. I'm sure it would be great to talk to Moses and listen to Moses and hear the stories he could tell us about being in Egypt and being out in the wilderness and the things that God did, I'm sure that would be amazing. I'm sure it'd be interesting to listen to Elijah and talk to Elijah about all that he experienced as he was a prophet and serving God. But I can tell you what's supremely better than Moses and supremely better than Elijah, and that is that we see Jesus and we hear Jesus. And that's why God cuts Peter off in midstream. And he says, listen, you need to have your focus right. You need to hear my son. You need to listen to him. And it's interesting to me, the very first thing Jesus says to these disciples who have fallen on their face out of fear is this. God says, this is my son. Listen to him. The first thing he says to them is rise. And have no fear. They were over there afraid and fearful. You see, seeing Jesus only, and this will be a little bit doctrinal here, but I think we need to apply it. Seeing Jesus only. Seeing Jesus alone. Having a singular focus upon Jesus. Understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Seeing Jesus only overcomes the terror of holy God. Look at verse 6 through verse 8. When the disciples heard this, when they saw that glory cloud and they heard God the Father speak from it, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That's the first thing that he said to them. 
They're there terrified because of the presence of God. And Jesus touches them, and Jesus tells them not to be afraid. And when they look up, Moses is gone, Elijah's gone, all that side stuff, the things that kind of had Peter sidetracked for a minute. It appears the, the glory of God has gone in that cloud. The glory of God standing there in Jesus, but the glory of God is, is gone in that cloud. And they look up and they see Jesus only. Now here's the doctrinal point I want to make. A lot of people, when they think about God having to be in the presence of God, it scares them to death. Do you remember being there yourself? Do you remember being afraid of God before you knew Christ as your Savior? God's holy. God knows everything about you. And it's like somehow we think, well, if we don't kindly approach Him, it's like we're hiding stuff from Him. No, He knows already. There are a lot of people that go through their lives paralyzed of the fear of standing before God. So they try and stay distant from God. But the only thing that's going to do if you continue to stay distant from God is one day you'll really be paralyzed when you stand before Him lost. The only thing that helps us overcome the terror or the concern of God being that holy God that we're afraid to be in the presence of is Jesus Christ himself. The Bible said they look up and they see Jesus only. Look look at what Hebrews tells us. Let me make my, my doctrinal point. Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, not fear, but confidence, They enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, some Jewish background, if you've never studied that or had anyone talk to you about it, you might wonder, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, entering into the most holy place only took place in the Jewish worship on the Day of Atonement. Only the high priest could go back there, which Jesus, by the way, is our high priest. And he would go back there and he would pour the blood out upon the mercy seat. They would tie a rope around his ankle to where somehow he displeased God and he died while he was back there. They could pull him out because no one else was allowed. That's how terrifying and fearful it was. They could not run in and try and rescue the high priest if he had a heart attack while he's in there. Because had they gone in to the most holy place, they had been warned already they would die. And yet we're told through faith in Jesus, we can have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near, not run away, not be terrified, not be afraid, not be scared. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Basically, they simply what that is saying is this. It's through Jesus Christ that we with confidence can approach holy God. Jesus and Jesus alone. And when they looked up, even though they were terrified by being in the presence of a holy God, when they looked up, Jesus said, hey, don't be afraid. And they saw Jesus alone. I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you know Christ already as your Savior. Maybe you don't. If you already know him as your Savior, Jesus alone is what got you in that relationship with God. And Jesus alone is what will get you through your fearful situations in your life. 
And if you don't know Him as your Savior, Jesus alone is the only one that can get you in a relationship with God and get you beyond being terrorized by the thought of being in the presence of God. It's Jesus alone. Last thing I want you to see is kind of a practical thing for us as believers out of this story of the transfiguration. And that is we need to realize we need to realize that seeing Jesus on mountaintops, in other words, us having mountaintop experiences with Jesus, us having high points spiritually in our lives, we need to realize seeing Jesus on mountaintops leads to ministry in a real world. They had been on the mountaintop with Jesus. They had seen Jesus in all of his glory displayed before them. They had heard God the Father speak from heaven. They had heard Jesus say, don't be afraid. Rise up and don't be afraid. Man, they had had this wonderful experience up on the mountain. I think Peter may be had in his mind, this is a great, we just need to stay up here. That's why we're building tents and tabernacles. But you see, down at the foot of the mountain... This man had brought his son that the Bible said had epilepsy. It's what the father said. And the father says sometimes he's fallen into the fire and sometimes he's fallen into the water and he sometimes he's just having fits and wasn't in control of himself. And the disciples had been trying to cast out a spirit, had been trying to help him. And they couldn't do it. And when Jesus gets down at the foot of the mountain, he says, bring him here. Now, I understand it was Jesus that cast out the demon that day. But I also understand this. Jesus has left us behind to be him in this world. Amen? And when we have mountaintop experiences with Jesus, we're not supposed to take that and hold it to ourselves and think, how nice. Man, wasn't that wonderful, and, that, and that's all we do with it. As they were coming down the mountain after they had that great experience, they start having a theological discussion a little bit. And that's fine, nothing wrong with theological discussions. We ought to have those things. But I'm simply telling you this, having an experience with Jesus, mountaintop experience with Jesus, ought to do more than cause us to just have theological discussions. Having those mountaintop experiences with Jesus ought to prepare us to go down into a real valley, into a real world where people have real hurts and people have real challenges and real difficulties in their lives. It needs to prepare us to go down into the real world where ministry needs to take place. I'm afraid that a lot of times, especially maybe in the environment of the way we do church, with contemporary church and things like that, I'm afraid if we're not careful, you're going to come and get entertained on Sunday. And you'll go away thinking, man, that was nice. And that's all you ever do with it. When Jesus wants to give us those mountaintop experiences so we can go down in the valley of a real world and minister to people, a preacher, that's your job. Okay, it is. I can't do it all. It's every 
believer's job. And the equipping that God gives you on those mountaintop experiences needs to help you get over your fears of going down into a real world where you get your hands dirty and things are difficult and tough in doing ministry in a real world. After Jesus cast a demon out, the disciples come to him and say, why can't we do that? Jesus gave them three reasons. Some translations don't have verse 21, but some, some do, depending on the manuscripts that that translation was built upon. But Jesus said they had little faith. And then he even told them, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you could tell a mountain to be moved and it would be moved. So I, I don't know, maybe Jesus is saying that little mustard seed, you see it would grow up to be a big tree. Maybe Jesus is telling the disciples this, your problem is you don't have a growing faith. You settle, you're satisfied right where you are. You don't have a growing faith. That's why you couldn't do it. And then in verse 21, Jesus said, this kind only comes by prayer and by fasting. And fasting, a lot of people just view that as only being food. But I think you can also look at fasting and being more than just food. You can understand that Jesus is telling them that maybe they weren't having the dedication that they needed to him. Why couldn't the disciples do it? Little faith, lack of prayer, lack of discipline. It's what he's telling them. Fasting can involve a lot more than food. It means we need to be disciplined enough to be preparing ourselves to be serious with God. And we come down on our mountaintop experiences and we go into a real world and we make a difference in people's lives. We will face fearful circumstances in our lives. We will face times that we might be terrified like the disciples were and we fall upon our face. My suggestion to you is if you'll see Jesus as he is, if you'll listen to Jesus, really listen to Jesus, then that will help you have the ability to make it through the fearful situations you face in life. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we get so distracted, when we elevate things to be in competition with with Jesus in our lives. Father, help us to have a singular focus. Help us to, to focus our attention upon Jesus. Help us to see Him as He is. Help us to listen to Him. And by doing so, Father, equip us to make a difference in the world that we live in. Forgive us when we become so inward focused that we only see our own needs and we fail to see the needs of others. Help us, Father, to take all that You do for us, all that Christ has done for us, and and allow those things to equip us to come down off the mountain and meet needs in a real world. 
Lord, if there's someone in this place this morning that's never ever said yes to Jesus as their Savior, they've never ever trusted Him. Maybe it's because they've been fearful of You. Because they understand they're a sinner and they know You're perfect and You're holy and they're fearful of You. God, give them the faith they need right now to see Jesus and hear Jesus and understand that it's through Jesus alone that they can approach You. Father, help the rest of us that already know Christ is our Savior. God, help us first of all to repent that we keep many of our great experiences that you've done for us in our lives to ourselves. Forgive us, Father, that we don't allow those mountaintop experiences to equip us to help others. And Father, just deal with our hearts during this time that we would listen to your Holy Spirit. We'd make decisions that you're calling us to make. If you're calling us to go up a mountain with you, help us, God, that we not, will not make excuses. God, help us to be as close to you as we possibly can be so we don't miss some grand things that you have prepared for us. Lord, through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.